Crime, Crime Limited Show. Please, William Dobson and him, Tim Pan. Today we're joined by Rick Story to discuss: Does mental illness exist? Tim. Does mental illness exist? Is the question. Uh, my answer, I would tell, is myself is no, or it depends. Um, that's the answer I would tell myself is no. And there's an old children's book, um, There and Some Bears, written by more or less normie Christian authors, which is fine. And in it, Brother Bear and Sister Bear, well, Sister Bear gets an addiction to biting her nails. And this addiction gets so bad that they have to sort of eventually reward her with um, trying to get outside of this addiction. Um, but I think they end up rewarding her with money, and they give her a lot of praise. And at the end of the book, it's talked about reading the wrong lesson into this. At the end of the book, um, the uh, brother bear looks almost enviously or jealously at Sister Bear for all this attention she's getting for basically coming back to normal, so to speak. You know, uh, so you have a, if it's a normal situation not to bite your nails, if, then in this situation, it's now, quote unquote, unnormal. So, and I think Thomas Saz in his book, The Myth of Mental Illness, on page 254, actually identifies this problem. And he quotes, quote him, during, I'm paraphrasing somewhat, during early stages of the days of, of psychiatry, such as Freud, Breuer, and Charcot, um, they were violently opposed to impersonators of the sick. At heart, most, uh, most, psych, most psychiatrists were neurologists. Hence, he only wanted to see the quote-unquote really sick patient. In contrast, at present, and I think this continues today, psychiatrists and mental health people have swung to the opposite direction and refusing to distinguish between the imposters and the people who are quote-unquote cheating sick and those who are quote-unquote playing on honest. Um, so I think that's an interesting idea here when it comes to mental illness. And part of the reason why I think that mental illness is a dodgy concept is unlike let's just say real diseases. I'm, not, I'm being very choice with my words here. Lyme disease, cancer, uh, diabetes. In a sense, they have a physical thing to it. You can sort of judge them more specifically. You can say, well, you know, if you have cancer, it's a, your heart's, or you have heart disease, your heart's no longer pumping blood. And this is where I think mental illness, even for the mainstream, will get more problematic, or maybe just illness itself. And this is sort of where things get controversial. Yeah. So, like, in order to say you have a toothache, I'd say you have to use teleology, or you have, this is a proper functioning tooth, this is an improper functioning tooth. Well, this is a proper functioning heart, that's an improper functioning heart. So, in this sense, teleology has to come into play. And with a mind here, and especially the mainstream culture, I mean, it has problems of saying, like, what is the purpose of certain organs, let alone a mind here. And to say this mind is operating improperly, I think... Regardless of your political persuasion, is a hard thing to sell. As Glenn Greenwald reports and others, how many people use mental health like you're mentally ill if you question the mainstream narrative? So I think in order to say that there is mental health, you have to say there's kind of teleology, you have to say there's kind of good mental health. And I don't know if the mainstream can. Um, I do think there are certain groups that can. I'm going to get to those in a second here. Um, this is why I think. This is why Peter Hitchens has an interesting essay at First Things about he doesn't believe in addiction. I think addiction very much is related to mental health. Uh, I think the people who tend to be mentally ill might be more persuaded, more more likely to get addicted. So Peter Hitchens comments about addiction. I believe in free will. Why would I believe in addiction? It's like this sort of interpersonal force of lightning that's happening here. 
this is again where quote unquote really ill. Like if you get heart disease, you didn't choose to get heart disease per se. Now maybe your environment had too much fatty foods or too much sugary foods. You just read the FDA uh, charts too much. Um, so maybe I'm undermining my own argument that all diseases are in a sense bent on choice. And I think to bring in the third controversial point here is this is starting to resemble almost demonic possession. Uh, I've been following Father Vincent Lampert. He's Catholic. Swithin turned me on to him. Um, he's sort of sort of interesting. He consults with mental health professionals, so to speak. Actually, Thomas Sides in his book, Myth of, Myth of Mental Health, talks about religion, mental health, and the sort of relationship between the two. Um, it's, it's a very mutual relationship, in all, arguably. So, uh, and, but again, of course, the mainstream wouldn't believe in demonic oppression or, or things like that. So, Rick, I sort of laid out a question, a short case of why I don't think mental illness exists. And part of it is I'm suspicious of the, you know, to me, in some ways, like, like, why not go, quote, unquote, crazy? And furthermore, there is a political aspect to it, like, what is, quote, unquote, normal, what is unnormal. Different times have different, different times might have different uh, views of normativity, so to speak. And this is where I think Foucault, although commonly associated with the left, would increasingly be associated with the right, too. Foucault wrote a book, Madness and Civilization. And to some extent, all three of us by the mainstream are quote-unquote mad or mentally ill or we stick out in some ways or another. So, you know, even that, you know, that's, so that's my first question to the two of you. What do you make of my case against mental illness? I think it's a dubious concept. I, I don't doubt that some people, there are good mental health professionals who help people. Um, I don't, I do question like, what is their general end? Um, I mean, that's one of the problems I have with Jordan Peterson, like, it's great that guys clean their rooms. Like, I'm not opposed to that. But like, what is the ultimate, you know, reason to do that? And that's where I think religion or true religion has to kick in. Um, so, Rick, what do you, what are, what are your thoughts or my thoughts on mental or my case against this? And thanks for being on here, Rick. Oh no, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. I mean, my initial thoughts are Tim that I I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I mean. <laughs> Where I'd want to maybe clarify things, as you've said, mental illness is a bit of a dubious concept. I think it's fair enough to say that. I think maybe the more we learn about the brain, how the brain works, um, how, you know, even our diet, for instance, you know, how changing our diet might affect our brain chemistry and how that might affect how we feel, you know, how comfortable and um, content generally we might feel you know, with our, our everyday lives, um, you, you know, I think the more that we learn, uh, obviously, you know, we, we might be able to say, OK, that, you know, there are some um, there, there are perhaps, uh, you know, some aspects of your brain and with little changes you can make to your everyday life um, or, you know, maybe taking control of your thoughts a little bit more um these can have you know large impacts on on your you know your quality of life in terms of um how happy you are perhaps but um you know if all of that said um you know I, I, i'm still nevertheless you know very much inclined to agree with you and i'm glad you brought up uh, a figure like thomas sass for instance because um you know when we're talking about 
mental illness and mental disorder. Um, these terms, um, you know, in the medical profession and you know, in, in therapy, uh, they use pretty interchangeably. And the, the, the reason for that is, is because, um, you know, they're largely inclined to view a mental disorder, uh, which, you know, would be defined as being, um, you know, a disturbance in the, the normal um, physical or mental health of a person's mind, or, you know, they might just say brain these days, um, you know, where, where we're talking about these disturbances, uh, what they really mean is in terms of a person's normal everyday functioning. Um, uh, you know, and if we, we look at the, the definition of mental illness, uh, perhaps they're a little bit more specific about what they mean when they say a person is you know, dysfunctioning, um, you know, they'll say that, um, you know, a, a mental illness is basically a health condition which involves changes in emotion, thinking or behaviour, um, which then can interfere with the, you know, successful, you know, productive uh, social activities, um, having healthy relationships in one's life and, and basically being able to cope with the everyday adversities of life, you know, and big changes, perhaps, you know, change in your life, being able to cope with that. Um, now, I mean, we've really got to put a big question mark over this, because if you're talking about, you know, changes to someone's emotion, thinking or behaviour, uh, which might, you know, make them, uh, what can we say, you know, less able to take part in social activities and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, this then becomes a matter of how are they thinking? What are they thinking? And, and also and inevitably what becomes part of the question is uh, what are, as you've pointed out, Tim, you know, you raised this point. What are the social norms? What, what then is normal in that society? Um, you know, because really, when we're talking about someone who is becoming a disordered individual, we have to look at, well, what is it that's perceived to be order? And who who is it that is defining uh, that order? Uh, this was very much the, the, the question at the heart of uh, Thomas Sass's work. Um, and obviously, you know, he really wanted to separate psychiatry from the state. Um, and also it wasn't so, it wasn't just, you know, the state using uh, these ideas of mental illness, you know, to sort of um, institutionalize and ostracize people whose thinking and behaviors uh, they might not necessarily agree with. He he was also concerned with big pharma, uh, and he was concerned that um, the, the medical in industry was becoming a sort of pharmocracy. I believe was the word he used. So he was worried that the medical industry was becoming a sort of priesthood, um, whereby you know medical professionals were so trusted that um, you know, you know, large scale, you know, money making scams and you know, otherwise taking advantage of people's 
um, um, you know, desire for, you know, good mental health and a, and a good quality of life, um, you know, and, you know, don't want to say too much, obviously, because, you know, we are on YouTube. But I, I believe that uh, certainly over the past few years, um, all of us have experienced, um, you know, where people are exceedingly trusting of uh, the, the medical profession. Uh, in, in their country and where they will be, um, you know, prepared to do things which might otherwise be considered mad, you know, so long as it was recommended to them, so long as it, they were told to do this uh, by uh, by a doctor, someone with the right credentials, um, you, you know, they, they will um, unflinchingly um, go along with that. Uh, so, so, you know, he was also worried about um, the medical industry sort of becoming a kind of um, oppressive religious system. Uh, that was the kind of language that he was using. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think this brings us inevitably to this question of um, when we're talking about mental disorder and, you know, that seems to be used synonymously with mental illness, we do have to think about, well, who is determining what is orderly and what is disorderly because uh, you know much of mental illness it is not just um, you know illnesses which are occurring in the brain which is just another part of the body um, you know it's, it's not necessarily just you have uh, say uh, a tumor in a part of your brain and it's changing your behavior um, there were two examples that came to mind, I think, when we were initially chatting about uh, th this topic for this show. And, uh, one of them was uh, a sniper in Texas um, who realized that uh, he was having these impulses to go out and shoot people in, in public. And he was a very nice man and he really didn't want to do it. And he, he was writing in these letters before he went out and did these terrible acts. That he didn't want to and he, he couldn't control himself any longer and he was very upset with uh, the doctors that he'd asked to um, you know scan him and, and give him more help and, and they didn't think there was anything wrong with him um, or there's a, another case where there was a, a man who uh, started to notice that he was having um, sexual desires towards children he was becoming a paedophile and um, obviously he he was not pleased with this uh, he didn't want to be this way and he discovered that he had a tumor in his brain and this was changing the way he was thinking and feeling and 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 you know may behave and um he actually was able to self-diagnose and determine that the cancer had come back because he noticed that he was starting to have those feelings again and so they were able to identify that that early um, so, you know, we're not necessarily just talking about something that is happening to you and that it's out of your control. Um, but these days, sadly, it, it seems as though all mental illness is treated this way. It's all just something that's going on in your brain. Um, none of it is really your fault. And so, Tim, you were bringing up, um, you know, Peter Hitchens and his opposition to um, you know, the way we talk about alcoholism. And, and he's saying, well, you know, people still do have free wills. It's not just something that's happening to you. You can, 
you know, learn to take control of yourself and to control your own behaviours. Um, you know, which is his view. Peter Hitchens is very famous for that, I think. Um, you know, we, we're not just talking about things that are just happening to you, you know, but we've also got to look at, you know, things like, you know, where somebody has an anxiety disorder, um, you know, okay, yes, yes, you, you might be able to get them to do certain things and to practice certain things and think a different way and, you know, change certain aspects of their life and they might stop feeling anxious, they might stop having panic attacks or you know, whatever symptoms it is that they're experiencing. But then on the other hand, I think we still have to return to this social question of, you know, what is it that we're calling orderly and what is it that we're calling disorderly? Because the, you know, the man, the veteran returning from a war uh, who has PTSD um, or, you know, the gentleman who's perhaps working in, you know, what we might call a toxic environment or something like that in the workplace. Um, and it is, you know, having these strong sense of anxiety continually and it's affecting him in his work. Um, you know, it may be that that veteran with PTSD, those feelings that he's having, it might be that he's having very reasonable um, experiences and feelings about, you know, his, the, the the war that he went in. Maybe the war he went to fight in was not not a just one. Maybe it wasn't a just war. Maybe he doesn't even know why he went to fight that war. Perhaps the world that he's coming back to, that he was supposed to fight to protect, is not really all that it's cracked up to be. And so maybe the feelings he's having, maybe this tremendous sense of stress, maybe this anxiety, maybe all that's going on in his mind, maybe it could be that it's a natural reaction that he's having. Um, and it's not necessarily something that's disorderly. Maybe the, the gentleman in the workplace who is having a strong sense of anxiety around certain people in the workplace, it could be that his conscious is picking up on all kinds of different things. Um, about the you know the structure of the business he's working in, about the people that he's working with, um, about uh, general attitudes within that business, about uh, the, the goals of the business overall, uh, how he's spending his much of his life uh, working there. It could be that he's picking up on all sorts of things, and that his body, you know, including his brain, this reaction of anxiety that he's having is perfectly reasonable, actually. Um, and that what society is calling orderly um, may, in terms of, you know, natural human societies and behaviours and that sort of thing, maybe it's the society that's disorderly. And maybe there's something about the individual that's picking up on that. Um, you know, but perhaps, you know, it, it is that that one individual who is sane. And maybe the rest of the world has gone mad. And how are we to determine that? And, and who is to determine that? Um, that's pretty much uh, the big question that Thomas Sass left with us. And so, um, yeah, to go back to what I originally said to him, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I do think that you can get illnesses in the brain. I think the more that we study, the more that we, we learn, the more we can 
uh, determine whether that's actually the case. But I do think that a lot of these so-called disorders are people having perfectly natural reactions to all sorts of different things in society. And um, and yes, I think the, you know, speaking very broadly, the medical profession, if you like, sort of lump it all together as, well, there's something wrong. You've got some kind of illness in your brain, much like you might have a cold or something like that. There's some kind of problem going on in your brain. Um, perhaps we can try some medication uh, to work on the, the symptoms of that. And there isn't so much the look at the fundamental social uh, causes of a lot of these so-called disorders. Um, so I went on for quite a while there, but that's that's basically how I feel about the the whole topic. So, yes, I, I largely agree with you, Tim. Jumping off on um, on that with the general structures around causing the reaction and being quite reasonable. I remember I was in a um, what was it? Oh, um, one of the training things, a place I was working at a time did mindfulness and they were saying how good it is, you know, for students who've got like anxiety and stuff. And I was just kind of thinking, well, this is just like some sort of Band-Aid. It's like, why do they have it? Sort out the problems they actually have so they can actually function normally as opposed to go, well, actually, no, if I just think about the moment and just uh, detach myself from reality, somehow I'll feel better. Um so uh, again, uh, uh, Rick, you mentioned PTSD. I, I, I always thought it absurd that they called it a disorder. It's like, oh, you've seen people being dismembered in front of you. Nah, you should just go. Nah, remember that. That's fine. Let's get on with it. It's like, oh, so people should be a psychopath in some respect. Now, technically, I might be wrong there with psychopathy and um, sociopathy, but let's leave that aside. It's like, well, surely you should react to that somehow uh in a negative way at least you would expect that you should um so it's um yeah i i think that's that's too uh, one of the funny things as well to to get uh normie leftists to uh question um mental illness as, as, as a concept is uh as recently as 1968 the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders in america diagnosed homosexuality as a mental disorder in 1968. Uh, not sure that would be considered a mental disorder today um, by the uh, medical professionals. But again, the question is, you know, what is orderly? What is the correct function of uh, one's sexual faculties, etc.? What is normal? I mean, clearly there was a different view then than there is now in general. Now, uh, irrespective of which one is correct or neither of them are correct, uh, the fact is that they, they change. Um, I am inclined, Rick brings some interesting examples with respect to uh, brain tumours and stuff. Um, I remember reading uh, a comment by a guy who claimed that he was a former mental health, he worked in the psychiatric ward, uh, uh, and uh, he claimed that most of the patients he had there were actually vitamin deficient. And actually what they needed to do is be pumped full more of certain ones. I don't remember which ones. And that would re return their 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 function functionality. Uh, and then he claims was basically hounded out of his job. Um, I do think with a lot of now with these types of person, though, I think you could genuinely say they are in a sense mentally ill. Now, I, I would use a very restrictive 
concept of that, which is if their general functioning is massively out of step with reality. Now, by that, I mean, oh, no, no, this gets the, the Lampert stuff with demonic possession and stuff. But people keep talking to me. The walls are moving, um, et cetera. Um, I, I suppose you could say that well, I suppose that could be reasonable. In certain I'm, I was thinking like incredibly conspiratorial things like literally everybody is out to get you. Like literally. I mean, I suppose that is possibly true in some cases. But when you have sort of um, functions that are impaired of basic existence of like just walking around, seeing things, um, interacting with people. Um, if that happens, then I'm, I'm I'm tend to say, yeah, OK, we could possibly just decline this as mental illness. But beyond uh, incredibly basic functions, I think it's highly uh, dubious. And the question is, you know, to what extent do you choose it or to what extent you have control over it? Um, the, um, you know, oh, no, I'm in a, I mean, it's interesting to think about the Peter Hitchens article with respect to addiction. It's like, well, everybody thinks you can, you have power to stop drinking because otherwise, if you start drinking, you'd never stop. And since people clearly do, well, then you must have some power to stop doing it. So um, you, you're clearly not addicted in the sense that you're completely out of control because by definition, everyone thinks you can stop doing that. So you must have some form of control. Um, so it's, I think we got to, I think one of the, re, well, there's a couple of reasons I think for the, the rise of, well, Many reasons for the rise of mental illness, but as it's sort of diagnosed and pathologized, I, I think it, largely it's a way of removing responsibility from people. Uh, people go, oh, I, I, no, it's not my fault. You know, I've got this problem. Yeah, and and so it's medical. So it's it's, it's like having cancer. It's like having a broken leg. Um, but also, it's quite handy that you can sell stuff to people. It's like, oh, you got a problem? Why you buy this? Yeah. That'd be great. And I'll solve my problems. It's like it's not really that I'm a really terrible person uh, and no one likes me because I'm really annoying. Uh, and and or it, it's not the fault, really, that, you know, my dad left when I was like 12. Uh, and that means why I don't really function very well. Um, you know, you know, well, I won't blame him. You know, he didn't really go with mum uh, or something like that. Um so it, it, it's it's a way of sort of denying responsibility for you in, as an individual, but also people around you. Um, now, this is clearly not the case in all cases, uh, but it, it seems very much to function that way. You have a medical problem. That's why you do what you do, uh, which is convenient, I would say, in in uh, in many cases. And of course, as Rick has said with Thomas Sars, who I'm generally a uh, in favor of um i mean it, it, it can clearly be used as oh you're mentally ill oh we need to um put you in in confinement until you get to the correct view you need to be re-educated you need to be sent to more equality and diversity seminars and so you have the correct view i mean it, it's it's quite useful uh, in, in in that respect so uh, i would say beyond very very basic functioning I'm highly dubious of the concepts of mental illness. The next question I'd have and take maybe a few minutes each to answer it um, or 
sketch an outline for an answer, I'll quickly sketch mine is what causes it or what makes people mentally ill? Is it merely weakness of will? Like we talk, I mean, that's one of the things I think Peter Hitchens uh, arguments about drug addiction, which is very much related to mental illness um, um, are interesting. And I notice, like when crimes are committed, whether big crimes or small crimes, there's a tendency to view them as um, there's a tendency to view them as anyone who commits a crime who we somewhat like or or we somewhat empathize with. We just say, well, you know, he's mentally ill. I mean, I don't. I read some of these, you know, mass shooter manifestos, and you read like Bin Laden's manifesto. These guys aren't mentally ill. They're perfectly reasonable people, actually. And, and this is where I think there's sort of an epistemological, philosophical uh, under uh, underneath here. And this is where like Foucault talks about unreason. Again, now Foucault is oftentimes associated with the left, but like, you know, in, in antiquity, madness was actually viewed as like secret wisdom tellers, like the you know the dark side of reason, so to speak. Especially in like the high, you know, early Middle Ages, so like you have the local mad person here, and you know, Foucault ends up ends his book talking about Nietzsche of all people, like saying, you know, Nietzsche did end up kind of uh, in, uh, invalid at the end of his life, taken care of by his sister. Um, is he? A, he was a very intelligent person. I think he graduated uh, top honors, nineteen years old or something like that, from my understanding. Um, so you have like sort of unreason. So. But then, of course, you have less functioning people. We had the autism episode as well. There's always high functioning, low functioning um, ones. But, you know, a lot of when crimes are committed, like, I don't think any of these people, most if they want to get out of punishment, fine. But I don't think Ted Kaczynski's mentally ill. I don't think most of these people. So, I mean, one of the answers to the left would say is capitalism causes uh, mental illness. And Rick sort of talks about that with the, um, I'm not accusing Rick of being one. I'm just saying there is a sense in which it's not a surprise that certain types of mental health grew up around the industrial revolution. Um, um, it's not, I, I don't think that's a surprise. And I do think there's a certain, you know, pathology associated with working in a factory or working in a service industry, so to speak, and so forth. Um, I mean, my, my problem is, you know, many of those things are also true of so-called the Soviet Union and Cuba and North Korea. It doesn't seem like they're a paragon of mental health uh, and stability either. Um, if anything, the opposite. Well, maybe not. But um, that would be my, that would be my, like, you know, it could just be the environment leads you. We have a, we live in a scarce environment, and it leads to mental uh, uh, disorder. And like some people just, you know, some people just aren't cut out for it, and they just sort of, you know, fall apart. Um, but I, I'm skeptical of it because partly of my own sake is because, in a sense, in a weird sense. You know, to go back to the sister bear example, like the, I, I, I look at mentally ill people and sometimes I think, wow, they, these people, even like the homeless, for example, like these people might have something, a kind of wisdom, which is sort of like what in the opening chapters of Madness Civilization is always a, you know, they, they might have something going for them. Uh, Rick, what, and so I said, what do you make of like, we'll start with Rick. What do you make of like, what would you say the causes of it? Like what, what makes people quote unquote disordered? You, you sort of touched on it, but if you could continue. That'd be great. Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're, you know, you've hit on, you know, something that, uh, you know, I think about a lot, Tim, when you said that uh, I probably think that modernity has a, a lot to do with it. You know, I, I do think that um, modernity has a lot to do with it. You know, I think that um, you know, mass urbanization and, 
you know, all these different processes. This is, of course, not to mention all of the uh, the different technologies uh, that form a huge part of our everyday lives now. Uh, you know, the the moaning about the fact that people are on their mobile phones all the time um, is you know, such a commonplace, it's it's almost as commonplace as people actually being on their mobile phones. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, there's a, there's a natural instinct, you know, to worry about this sort of thing. Well, hold on a moment. We're suddenly all going to be communicating with each other through these little supercomputers we're all holding. Um, and, you know, we're going to be spending less time just walking down the road and being alone with our own thoughts. Uh, you know, what What are the consequences going to be on our mental health, if you like, or, you know, just on our mental state, let's say, um, you know, if that's going to be the way things are now, what are the consequences going to be of that? Um, you know, the, and I, I think these are legitimate concerns. And I think that we are probably, you know, woefully under equipped to be able to determine um what that is you know i think we're kind of um you know driving a like a formula one speed car and you know we don't have a seat belt or you know any kind of a, a safety equipment uh, we're just uh, uh going along with this just for convenience sake um and you know i i do think that inevitably there will be uh, uh, a consequence on our, our mental state because it's 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 not how we're you know evolved if you want to look at it that way um it, it, it's not um it, it's not a, a natural state for us to be in um to be um you know swiping and swiping and swiping and um having the world's news even um presented uh, to us uh, these kinds of things um, are, are unnatural and, and talking about the urban environments we live in you know well you know they have done um, very serious studies on the effects of being somewhere where we are surrounded by traditional architecture beautiful architecture and this seems to have uh, a tremendous effect on the people who live in that area their, their mental health and you know their their daily sense of of, of happiness, and, and I would say, but that's because they they they're feeling as though they belong somewhere. They're, they're feeling as though the place that they are living in is somewhere where they're meant to be. It is home, uh, to you know, for want of a, a better word. Um, and you know, people who are familiar with the work of Sir Roger Scruton will be you know familiar with these kinds of ideas I'm saying here. Um, uh, you know, also, uh, um, you know, there's also been work on, you know, whether we are um, surrounded, and, you know, this is controversial, but nevertheless, it's true, you know, whether we're surrounded by people who look like us, sound like us, um, whether they have the same religion that we do, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. Um, these sorts of things have a tremendous effect on our mental health, our mental state. Um, how comfortable we seem to be. And, you know, given the complexity of our brains, given the complexity um, of what's going on in our subconscious, and given how little we understand about all of these things, 
um, the you know what we are doing to ourselves and how radically the world around us is changing as a result of modernity without any um, concern of you know okay yeah we can just get rid of uh, public religion yeah we can just get rid of local identities yeah we, we can just get rid of all this stuff um, which you know we've we, we are designed to be in that's our natural habitat we can get rid of all of that and it's not going to have very serious consequences on our our mental state um i, I think that's that's obviously foolish um you know, I think, again, we have to consider G.K. Chesterton's fence. Uh, you know, a, a man buys a, a plot of land and there's a little wall going along and there's a gate there. Would it be wise for that man to suddenly remove that gate because he just doesn't like where it is? Knowing nothing about the land, knowing nothing about why that gate is there, what purpose it serves. Well, I think most of us would say, well, no, he should at least know what purpose that gate serves before he decides to get rid of it. Uh, I'm afraid in modernity, we we have not just gotten rid of things, we've abolished um, certain things, which is just the natural um, order of things uh, for, for most of, of human life, um, you know, for most of the, the civilizations that we're able to look at through history. Um, but we think we know best uh, and we think that the more technology we have and the more technological progress we have, uh, the more we're just going to be unstoppable in terms of um, um, sorting out any problems, any obstacles that we might encounter. And along the way, I think we are um, doing away with the things that really make us what we are, who we are, really make us human um, and really give our, 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 our brains, our minds, that sense of home, that sense of belonging, that sense of stability. Um, and so, you know, the World Health Organization, you know, whatever you might think of it, um, says that one in four people uh, around the world are affected uh, by uh, mental disorders. Um, you know, frankly, I find something like that to be uh, unsurprising. I think that the society, to answer your question more directly, so I think the society that we live in, um, the ideas that it holds to, the things it believes, um, as well as just what our immediate surroundings are like who are we living with you know where where are we living to a certain extent what does it look like where we live you know the buildings that we enter are they welcoming do they do, do they understand us do they understand our needs as a human do they welcome us you know certainly brutalist architecture didn't want to convey that at all brutalist architecture was designed to sort of give you this sense of fear, like I can crush you. That was the sense that brutalist architecture was meant, you know, that was what it wanted its people, the people in, in those countries where it first began, they wanted them to feel that, to be afraid of the state, basically. Um, you know, so, so, so you know, what, what does our society look like? 
Does it feel like home? Do we feel stable? Do we feel as though we belong? Um, I think that that is in terms of mental illnesses that are not just organic. They're, you know, things, afflictions, you know, physically things going wrong in our brain in terms of more sort of disorders like anxiety disorders, you know, the more common, the most common forms of what's called mental illness. I think a lot of that has to do with what our societies look like. Um, and um, and the the solutions that we put in place, I'm afraid they're very artificial. You know, for for instance, you know, we're talking about alcoholism. Um, you know, and it's debatable whether we should we should even talk about that. You know, is alcoholism a mental illness, or um, or is it just um, you know just a, a regular addiction, something you just need to kick? Um, well. Um, you know, what's the solution for that? Well, people are sent along to AA meetings and they they have prayers and all sorts of things. All these things to sort of mimic a religion, because, of course, religion is very strongly associated and correlated with good mental health. Um, you know, all, all too little, uh, you know, people with post-traumatic stress disorder um, told um you know tr embrace your embrace your religion um you know find god um uh, develop you know sincere true relationships um where you know people actually love you and just genuinely care about you uh, you know all, all too little are they told that because you know well how are you supposed to develop relationships like that in our society these days um you know, where we just go from home, where we don't know our neighbours, to work, where it's just, you know, business relationships. And then we go to a cafe, maybe, where that's just another business transaction. You know, so it's so where are these organic, loving relationships supposed to arise, you know, outside of uh, the, the family, where we hope they they exist. Um, and, you know, as for the religion... Well, you know, that's that's not really encouraged either. And yet, you know, it's religion and good, solid relationships that, um, you know, are right up there uh, with, you know, those those uh, cures, if you like, of those more common um, mental disorders like anxiety. Um, I think, um, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, go on. Right, right. Um, the, um, the point about religion is what I was going to mention uh, later. Um, yes, um, I, I think your point about belonging is important. And religion, in a sense, is the ultimate um, sort of idea of belonging insofar as it uh, places you uh, alongside the ultimate, uh, alongside God or gods, uh, depending on the system and where you fit in entirely in reality uh now that's and that tends to be if it's a tr more traditional uh religion it, you you have a purpose there you're not just a random mass of atoms in a, a vast uh, infinite universe which just sort of randomly spewed you out because well that's not necessarily going to be particularly great for uh mental health actually reminds me um there's an interesting um discussion on philosophy bites and i can't remember who it was with it was the uh, discussion of the life after life after death and it 
made a um a reference to a Woody Allen film in which a child goes to a doctor with anxiety because he says, oh, the um, I, 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 it's not just I'm going to die. Uh, so, well, everyone's going to die. That's fine. So, but he, he's concerned with well, all life everywhere will end. And it's like, oh, and he's like, well, what's the point of anything? It's like, OK, well, I suppose you're everyone's going to think so curing cancer, you know, that's kind of like a meaningful thing. It's like. What if everyone, like, if the whole, like, um, heat death of the universe uh, takes place before cancer is cured? Well, what's the point? Um, so if you ultimately have that position, that's probably not going to be hugely great for your mental health because the a lot of the meaning attached to people's uh, behaviours is, um, is dependent on other people doing stuff afterwards. It's like... Well, you have meaning in your children. Why? Because well, they will live on, and their children will live on, and their children will live on, etc. It's like if they don't, and well, it's like, oh, what's what's the point of doing that? So, um, I think um, the rise of sort of mechanistic uh, views of reality, um, and um, well, essentially forms of atheism and uh, sort of materialism have clearly. Well, I mean, I mean, even I mean, the, the traditional sort of, well, the older atheists, I mean, um, Ed Fazer has a continuing um, series of the old, the old atheists who basically go, yeah, atheism is kind of depressing, but it's kind of the way reality is as opposed to new atheists go, oh, yeah, God is dead. Yeah, we can do what we want. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It's like, hmm, you really thought that through. Um, so I, I, I would... Um, echo your uh, religious point your architectural point i think is very interesting as well um i think someone commented that uh, architecture was the most important uh of the arts because it's something you encounter all the time and uh influences you when it comes to building design uh what you mentioned remind me of dunbar's number uh, dunbar's number i think it's 120 130 is the amount of people you're supposed to be able to have relationships with maximally uh, and a lot of buildings these days are just mass buildings, and you uh, and if you work in such a huge place, you, you can't really get to know that many people there, and it seems like you're dealing with lots of faceless individuals. Um, and I think Rick is correct that uh, you um, to, as it were, be have mental health, as it were. What you need is a great sense of belonging to place, to people, and to uh, the world in general. And if you have that, then you're going to be, uh, relatively speaking, more mentally stable. Now, of course, even if you have that, you still might not be. I mean, with all of these sorts of things, I would point to um, genetics, environment and choice. Uh, we pretty much sort of talked a lot about environment. Um, one reason, for instance, genetic, why reason why people might be more prone to so quote unquote um, mental illnesses, child mortality is a lot lower. A lot of people who otherwise historically would have died don't die. Uh, and um, people who have um, disease of one part of their body tend to co-correlate. Other things go wrong with them as well. Um, so, I mean, the in in increase in, um, I mean, so for instance, I wouldn't be surprised. We talked about autism in the past. Uh, especially certain types of autism, I wouldn't be surprised, are uh, more prevalent now because people who otherwise would have died as a child don't. 
uh, and sort of you could call various maladaptive traits continue. Uh, so I think one of the things you have to cope with with a better medical system is you you're going to have more people who are ill in a sense chronically well not necessarily chronically but i mean sort of continually and um so that's something to consider um that and again it's also consider of um age of bearing children um because clearly women over the age of 35 massive increase in the number of um disordered um, children with respect to like um, Down syndrome and various other things as well and paternal age matters as well to some extent I think that's linked to autism actually interested from memory um, so there's certainly uh, that aspect and then of course we mentioned choice I mean even if you've got a good environment and you've got you're generally healthy and you basically got good genetics you can still choose to do bad stuff because basic because the thing is in a lot of stuff you do I mean drinking alcohol for that habitual drunkenness there's a good aspect to it and if you just train your will to focus on the good aspects of it to the um uh to avoid the bad then you're just going to keep doing it um that's the sort of general sort of um Thomistic view of sort of freedom of the will i mean uh, apart from god the comprehensive good you could basically choose anything because there's always something good about it and it's just a question of whether the will focuses on it if you sort of train the will to focus on it and you end up in behaviors of vice. Um, so, I mean, and then that sense of personal discipline and uh, and people around you as well, clearly as well, not just in a vacuum. Uh, but um, when it comes to mental illness in general, and these types of things as, uh, as such, environment, genetics and choice, you've got to think of all three, because if you don't, you're, you're going to be missing something. And this will be a final question. I maybe take like a few minutes on this one so we don't go too too long but uh, is mental health contra or anti-christian um you know you always you, you both of you think touched the point on pharma pharmacy and that comes from pharmacia and it's sort of i think on the uh alex jones is on the joe rogan show and i think he's correct on doing this and i think Stephen crowder was also and they both said you know they don't do pharmacia because it's uh you know it's, it's sort of a uh, thing that you're not supposed to do. It's, it's an it's a interdiction. I, I think the word is correct. Um, so, you know, for one thing, I think prescribing drugs to people is, you know, we talk about, like, alcohol. You can make maybe like a case for that. But like, you know, and a lot of, like, one of the things about the legal versus illegal drugs is a lot of, quote-unquote, legal prescribed drugs are also illegal drugs. So certain types of uh, opioids, certain types of oxycontin, I think, they're sort of prescribed forms that used to be prescribed by the medical professional itself. But that's sort of one of the weird things. Like one reason is to stay away from medical health professionals. They'll prescribe you drugs, um, which will alter your, your mind-altering drugs and so forth, and you sort of get away. Of course, there are like people like um, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, who is a sort of Christian who thinks like marijuana is completely unreasonable and so forth. It's actually kind of way to engage in healing or relaxing, so to speak. Um, so, and it's not much different than alcohol. So, I don't know. It's a, that's one reason you should, you know, avoid pharmacies. And again, I don't take that many prescription. I don't take any prescription drugs. Um, um, so that's one reason. And more, you know, philosophically, I was surprised that Father Vincent Lampard put so much emphasis on in his lecture on exorcisms, on mental health. So, like, you know, this is this is one reason. One reason I do the show, speaking of theology, is to learn. Autodidacticism. I think the institutions are dodgy in our society. 
for United States. Britain has the same problem, I would think. Um, so I just sort of autodidactism. And the comment that you could have invited this psychologist, or I, for, meant, I, I forget what his precise title is. And you know, I thought that would be interesting. But you know, one thing I'd sort of like to hit is, for the final point is, are things like schizophrenia or hysteria or autism, are they, like, like in some ways, if you just say these are just describing personality traits, and if the personality traits are good, that are virtuous, then you should, you know, you should, you should, you should say, well, that's actually good. Like someone who's obsessed with figuring out um, how an engine works or how math works. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's actually, actually, that's that's perfectly reasonable to do in an advanced industrialized society to obsess on one thing and get very good at it. So some of the things that that um, some of the advice sometimes given seems to be counterproductive. You know, find an obsession and then make or and then destine it, so to speak, and get better at it. Maybe that's the thing. Um, but like psychiatrists, like I think some of I think says I think comments that some certain psychiatry looks what was it, was it um what was it Vincent Lampert? But certain like like an, like a psychiatrist like what Freud was doing sort of borders the line as a secular exorcism. Like you're just sort of talking to them you're doing self-help, you know, you're doing certain exercises in it. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 that's one reason I'm dubious. Like, you know, Christians seem to be too much invested into mental health. That would be my take. And like, you know, I sort of like learn, you know, what should be the case here, you know, um, and what ought to be the case. And like, if you imagine, you know, some sort of future society, would we, would we want to have mental health experts? I'm I'm skeptical about wanting to have too many of them and too many disorders because I, I do think it's a way to absolve oneself of responsibility here and like again in, in, whether you think Pelagius or Augustine is true like we tend to act like we have free will um, so on some level maybe people don't have control over themselves but that's again that's that's sort of like getting into weird weird territory so maybe two to three minutes a piece. We don't want to go too, too long here. Um, you know, what do you think is the, is, is, is the mental health industry contra-Christian, I'll say? Rick? Yeah, Tim. Um, I mean, in terms of the Christian teaching on this, or maybe I should say maybe more specifically the Catholic thing, um, you know, typically, the, you know, they're the ones who go and do the exorcisms and they have a whole system um, dealing with you know, what, what what is a mental health issue, um, when are they then determining, oh, well, actually, this probably has uh, a, a spiritual aspect to this that's going on. Uh, so, so in terms of the, the, the Catholic view, um, in the New Testament, we see uh, very clearly distinguished when uh, somebody appears to have an issue, a problem, uh, a mental illness, if you like, an illness in their brain. Um, and then there are people who appear to, you know, they're it said that they are, you know, demonically possessed. Um, and so Christ uh, will, you know, exercise the demons from one and also he'll be providing uh, healing. Um, uh, so the, the distinction that's made there um, is still really made by the church. And you'll see this in, for instance, um, there's quite a notable uh, exorcist uh, from America whose name is Father Chad Ripperger, and he has written, um, you know, a large tome 
on uh, the subject of uh, mental health uh, because it has been such you know a large part of um his ministry you know especially as an exorcist um and on the other side he's also written um a a book to be used by medical professionals and also by clergy um in order to um you know understand how it is that the church would then determine okay you know maybe there's something spiritual going on here rather than uh, a mental health matter and you know might be asked well why does the church um you know allow such room uh, for the medical profession to um look and to see if uh, you know someone uh, has a mental illness and this is because that uh, instances where um someone has rushed in and said well i think this is this is a spiritual matter and this is something demonic um and whereas actually it wasn't um that has tended to make um uh, people's mental illness worse and so um you know the church obviously putting the health um of people first um you know in terms of the the love of of those people um they say okay let's let's see if those things are are met first you know so so you know initially they might say um you know you have secondary signs that someone might be possessed and so this is just for example maybe someone has like serial malicious behavior or maybe they're just you know it, it, like serial duplicitous behavior um and then you know if you, you might say okay this could be this could have an organic cause maybe there's a problem in their brain they have a, an actual physical illness um or perhaps it's got something to do with the habits maybe they have just bad habits you know we've been talking about how does um you know modernity and the world we live in maybe it doesn't encourage virtuous behavior maybe we don't have a culture that we all share which encourages the same virtues and habits uh, so maybe we're just sort of left to ourselves uh, as we seem to be uh, um under um liberalism and we 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 sort of just develop whatever habits we want and maybe we develop some very bad habits like uh, or like alcoholism for instance um or you know other addictions other um yeah addictions let's say um so maybe okay it doesn't seem to be those things and maybe those things seem to get better as um you know treatments or or other stimuli uh, applied in the person's life um and so then they move on to you know the they look for the primary signs of demonic possession and so this would be for instance um uh, the, the 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 patient let's say um is able to fluently very well you know fluently speak uh, languages that they they don't know and it's not reasonable to assume that they ever learned them um and they have a particular knowledge of things that they couldn't possibly know including being able to read thoughts uh, on the spot um and uh, having specialist knowledge and expertise in areas that they've never studied um and uh, and then also there's the other sign which we're more familiar with from the movies which is uh, physical actions which are beyond human capacity so uh, superhuman strength uh, the morphing of body parts and the face as well and doing impossible contortions uh, these seem to be the most common uh, forms of that 
Um, and so, yes, you know, then if they determine, OK, these signs are present and uh, the, the church uh, seems to agree, then they can say, all right, it seems as though this person has demonic possession. And then the exorcist can uh, proceed with these matters. And it, yes, you know, you know, the world is a, a strange place and it does seem as though you have medical professions who say, OK, we've tried certain things and this behavior is beyond our explanation. Yes, we will then um, allow for those kinds of treatments to take place. And we'll see if, you know, if that kind of thing happens and maybe the person gets better. Um, you know, the explanation for why that is, is, you know, beyond the, the scientific method. And so we'll just uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, so that's, you know, that's the, the, the church's attitude towards it, um, I believe. I'm not uh, an expert in this sort of thing uh, myself, but, uh, you know, but th that is what it, it seems to be. And, you know, it does happen. Um, and, you know, people do get better uh, very quickly at, at times and uh, they seem to be quite devout afterwards, as you can probably imagine. I think that approach in general seems to be uh, reasonable. I, I think, though, with what uh, Tim was mentioning with respect to mental health and Christianity is I think a lot of things that this could have considered, um, as I was saying before, oh, mental health, it kind of takes away responsibility from the individual. It's um, it's kind of vice or other things in around their lives. And it's a way of sort of taking away uh, responsibility. Um, because you know, Christianity is focused on, well, it's um, your sin um, and uh, Jesus is a substitute uh, for your uh, sin and atonement and covering. And it, it's very much focused on being responsible for your action. And I, th I think in general, if you get people focused too much on mental health, it, it is a way and it tends to be although not in all cases, more liberal uh, Christian uh, churches that will focus more on mental health in that sense as a, as a, in, in a sort of non-Christian or partially Christian way of removing responsibility for the individual's action. Um, the approach that the, the Rick's laid out with respect to, as I said before, with um, exorcism seems entirely reasonable. Um, I mean, there can be physical problems, there can be um, individual choice and that demonic possession seems in principle possible. So I failed to see why it's it's not. And I think approaching in that way uh, will prevent it getting a, a bad reputation. Because most of the time when you hear about exorcisms, it, uh, it's because they've been done very badly uh, and um, insufficient work has been done beforehand. And then everyone gets to go, oh, look, they don't really exist. Um, or or they're particularly, they, they lead to deaths of people and things. Um, so um, treating it in, as it were, as, how should we say, the science of exorcism, I think, is um, uh, the appropriate way of, of, of proceeding. 
And I'd like to thank Rick for uh, joining us again and everyone for listening. And uh, if you'd like this, please share it with your family and friends and subscribe to us on Popping on YouTube. The more subscribers you get, the higher we get in the search rankings, the more people can access this material. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all, please contact us at mindcryingliberty show at gmail.com. That's mindcryingliberty show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.